Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, if you're like me, you probably really enjoy a good underdog story. Um, you know, the underdog story is where the, uh, the protagonist in the movie is somebody that uh, people, the other characters in the story, expect to perform poorly or to come in last, not to do very well. But to everyone's surprise, this person uh, rises to the challenge and outperforms everybody and ends up winning in the end. I love that kind of a story. And you know, there's fictional accounts like this. Uh, one of my favorite is the story The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, where Frodo, uh, just a simple hobbit, not very adventurous, becomes the hero of the story uh, at the end. And then there's a, a movie that Colleen and I watched again. Uh, I think it's a movie that was done in like 1993, something like that, starring Robert Redford. It's called The Natural. It's a baseball movie. And his character, Roy Hobbs, is this gifted baseball player at the beginning of the movie, uh, an amazing hitter. And something happens that stalls his career. So the movie jumps ahead about 16 years to the year 1939. And now he's an older player uh, that people would consider beyond his years. And so he joins, he's signed to a team called the Knights. But the manager of the team isn't impressed with Roy Hobbs. He thinks he's much, much too old. And so he initially refuses to play Roy Hobbs, but eventually Hobbs gets a chance to show what he can do. And so uh, he, at batting practice, they start pitching the ball to Roy Hobbs, and it turns out that he just hits home run after home run after home run. And what he does is he turns around the fortunes of this losing team by the end of the movie. It's a great movie. I recommend it. There's also unlikely heroes in history, people like uh, Abraham Lincoln, who against all the odds became what most people considered to be the greatest president of the United States and saved the Union. Uh, people like Rosa Parks, a civil rights activist. She's the woman who, the African-American woman who refused to sit uh, at the back of the bus. And then there's people like the Pakistani girl, uh, Malala. And she was uh, a girl that protested uh, for the education of women in Pakistan. And someone shot her in the head. She survived that, and she became an amazing activist as a teenage girl. So these are wonderful real-life underdog stories. And then there's also underdogs in the Bible. I love the story of Gideon. Uh, and this is interesting where uh, the Lord uh, sends his angel to Gideon, and uh, he calls him mighty warrior. Gideon doesn't think too much of himself. He's got kind of a, a low self-esteem. And Gideon says, uh, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. But the Lord answered him, and he said, I will be with you, and I will strike down your enemies. And then in the New Testament, we see uh, the underdogs are the 12 apostles, Jesus' disciples. And after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, uh, they're in Jerusalem preaching the gospel, and people were absolutely amazed that these uneducated men had such spiritual power. Sometimes I fail to see the potential in people. Um, I, I see people here in the church sometimes, and I don't always know that there's gold sitting there in those seats. 
Sometimes I fail to see the potential in myself. As a young man, um, I came from a broken family. Uh, I suffered with a very, very low self-esteem. I was uh, emotionally and verbally abused um, as a boy. Um, And it took a few key people. There's three people that the Lord brought into my life. My first guitar instructor, um, a friend of mine who was the one that got me started back to school and going to university, and believed that I could be a good student. And then Danny Gales, many of you know him. Uh, He was my first pastor. And they saw something in me, or they saw what God could do with an underdog like me. And that really gave me a great start. Uh, So how about you? Do you ever feel like an underdog? Do you ever feel that you're kind of last in line, that nobody believes in you, that Perhaps nobody takes you seriously. Uh, Or maybe you think that of yourself. Uh, So perhaps you're like Gideon, and you have a low opinion of yourself. And and maybe you think to yourself, well, you know, God can't use me. I really don't have any talent. I don't have any gifts. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good looking. Uh, And so maybe you count yourself out. Well, today in this message, I hope that you'll be encouraged that God can use anybody that he chooses to use and use you beyond your wildest imagination. Or maybe you're somebody that you look around like I do sometimes and you fail to see the potential in others. Uh, Maybe today in this message, God will help you to see differently. Um, So one thing I know from the Bible is that God does not look at people or size them up the way that we do. Uh, He doesn't look at things the way that we do. There's a great passage of Scripture in the New Testament, um, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says to these Christians, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before Him. And so what this passage is is telling us is that God chooses the people that we often neglect, the people that we would look past. Uh, God sees something in people that we often don't see. And he sees something in you that perhaps nobody sees, not even yourself. And so I want to talk about an underdog today from the Bible. And this is the person I've been preaching about in this series of messages called Lessons in Character. I want to come back to the story of David. And I want us to look at an early episode in the life of David. In my recent messages, We've looked at David's faith, his humility, his courage, his wisdom. Uh, Today, I want to look at how God called him at the very beginning and what God saw in David. And it actually starts before David comes on the scene. The first king of Israel was King Saul, and God was not happy with Saul. Uh, Saul was not a leader that God could trust uh, his, his faith didn't go deep enough. Um, he often disobeyed uh, direct commands of God. He wouldn't follow the Lord's instructions. And so, on one occasion, 
The prophet Samuel uh, comes to Saul when Saul had acted hastily and not with courage. And he said to Saul, he says, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God. If you had, he would have established your kingdom for all time. But now, Saul, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has, is now searching for a man after his own heart, and he will appoint him as a leader of your people. And then further on in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, it says this, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, Saul, and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. And so the Lord rejects Saul as king, and he goes in search and sends Samuel the prophet in search of a man after his own heart. And so then we get to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in this passage, it tells us that Saul is sent by the Lord to the house of Jesse. Jesse had several sons. And he had all these sons come before him. And the first one, the oldest one, Eliab, was the one that Samuel and Jesse thought certainly uh, he was a man of great stature. He was the oldest in the family, um, and he, he was quite impressive, and, and they thought for sure he would be the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, no, he's not the one. And then all the other sons came uh, in order before Samuel the prophet, but the Lord said, none of these are the ones that I have chosen. And so finally, the Samuel the prophet says to Jesse, well, do you have any other sons? And Jesse, I'm guessing, was a little bit surprised, but he said, well, yeah, um, there's the youngest, David, uh, a shepherd, he's out with the sheep. And Samuel says, please go get him. And then David comes, and this is what the Lord says. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God said earlier about Eliab and the other brothers who seemed very, very impressive and who were older and more experienced. He said, do not consider their appearance or their height. I've rejected them. I do not look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. God looks at the heart of the person he wants to use. What does the Bible mean by the outward appearance? Because I think that's what I often do. Um, and, and by the outward appearance, generally, if we're, doing, if we're interviewing people for a job or for a place in ministry, we tend to look at the persona of the, of the person. Uh, we look for charisma. We look for physical attractiveness. We look for personal charm. We look for intelligence. We look for talent, knowledge, experience, and all of those good things. Those are good things, and they're great qualities to have but they're not enough for God. What God does is He looks at the heart. We look for a successful track record, but God looks at the heart. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it says this, Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, 
Everything is laid bare before God. He looks past the surface. He looks right into you, into your heart. He knows your innermost thoughts and feelings and attitudes. God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Um, That's why it says in this passage I just read where Paul wrote to the Corinthians, God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. And that is so that no one can boast before God and then God gets the glory in the end. So what God looks for in a leader is a woman or a man after his own heart. And here's what that means, to be a person after God's own heart. It means that you're a person of integrity. Um, It means that who you are in private is who you are in public. You're beyond your persona. It's not just about charisma and charm. You're a person of integrity of character. It means that you're faithful. God's looking for faithful people, for people that he can count on in in crunch time. And God is looking for people with good judgment, Uh, like David, who had wisdom. God looks at the heart. And yet, when Samuel had David standing before him, and God said, you know, don't worry about the outward appearance, don't worry about his youthfulness, his age, his inexperience, because the Lord looks at the heart. I'm sure Samuel and Jesse, his father, must have thought, David is way too young and inexperienced. He cannot be the Lord's chosen one, the anointed one. And yet he was. And something we need to keep in mind is that God looks past age. Uh, You're not too old and you're not too young, and you're not too inexperienced. The thing that matters the most is your heart. The thing that matters most is that the Lord is with you. Um, Young people have done great things throughout human history. Do you know how old Alexander the Great was when he began to conquer, conquer the world? I think he was like 18 years old when he began to conquer the world. He was 31 or 32 when he died. And how about Albert Einstein? who made these amazing contributions uh, to theoretical physics, uh, to relativity theory, in in his 20s. He was like 23 or 24 years old. And then Bill Gates and Steve Jobs started uh, Microsoft and and, uh, Apple computers uh, when they were in their 20s. Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook in his 20s. And then there's biblical examples. Joseph, um, when he had his dreams of the sheaves, you know, of wheat bowing, his brother's sheaves of wheat bowing down before his, he was the youngest of his brothers. And and they thought he was arrogant because he was the youngest. And they said, you'll never rule over us. But he was young. When the, when the Lord appointed him and chose him. Uh, the same thing with Samuel, the prophet. Uh, he was called as a little boy. Um, Jeremiah, the prophet. Uh, he, he, Jeremiah said, Lord, why would you use me and call me? I am just a youth. And yet God used him. And then in the New Testament, the apostle Paul says to uh, Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. Don't let people look down on you because you're young. God can use you if you have a heart after God. Um, And then there's recent examples of of 
in history, well, throughout history, uh, many of the people that we, we read about, missionaries um, and, and great devotional writers, uh, started and making their great contributions when they were young in their 20s and, and in their 30s. Um, Bill Hybels uh, began Willow Creek Community Church in 1975, just in his early 20s. Rick Warren was the same thing uh, with Saddleback Valley uh, Church. He wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. Uh, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, has built an amazing ministry, highly respected in the United States, started in his 20s and, and, and have had very large and far-reaching ministries. Um, and so what happens when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse uh, Jesse has all the sons parade before Samuel, and every one of them were rejected. Finally, David is brought before Samuel. And what's interesting about this is David was just an afterthought. Um, Jesse, his father, never thought about David as being the future king. Uh, Samuel didn't know about David, but David was an afterthought. And I've often wondered, how would I feel if I was David being an afterthought, to be the last one picked, you know, for the team. Uh, and you might think David's feelings might be hurt. It was the same thing when, later on in the story when David stands before Goliath. You know, nobody else would do it, but David, this young man, this little shepherd boy, is the one who slays the great warrior Goliath. Um, and so Samuel then, when he hears the voice of God and says, he is the one, he is my chosen, anoint him, he takes the anointing oil and he pours it over David's head that he would then become the future king of Israel once Saul was taken away and, and, and died. Uh, and the anointing is a symbol, the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the anointing is a symbol of the power and the presence of God on the one who is anointed. And from that day forward, David now walks in the anointing. He walks with the presence and the power of God in his life, and he starts to become really well-known. He becomes heroic, and his exploits actually outdo those of King Saul. Um, and so, you know, when a person was set apart by God in, in, in the Bible, they were often anointed, not for healing, for sickness necessarily, but for purpose. And that was the case with David. And what's interesting here is, David is this young shepherd boy. He's anointed by Saul, and he's the chosen one, and he knows that he's chosen. He knows that he's going to become the next king of Israel, but he wasn't yet ready. He now needed to be groomed for the role. He needed to be tested. Saul was still king. And so now David is going to go into training by the Lord. Um, and so Saul now is uh, on the decline, and David is now in the ascendancy. Um, and so David was a man after God's own heart. That's what made him special. It wasn't all these outward appearance things that we typically look for. What it means for David to be a man after God's own heart is that he was a person of integrity. He was faithful. Um, he was somebody God could trust. Um, he was a worshiper of God. Uh, you know, David wrote 
most of the psalms that we read, 150 psalms, but he wrote so many of those. Uh, he was a musician and a songwriter, really, a poet. Um, but, but, but listen to these words of David, these words of praise and worship. And this shows you his heart after God. He says, I will exalt you by God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. And then in Psalm 63, verse 1, he says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He was a worshiper. God saw that in David. But David, and David didn't act independently of the Lord either. That was the other really great quality. He was faithful because he didn't act independently. Um, David did not rely on his own strength. Uh, when he uh, was confronted by the Philistine warrior Goliath, this is what David says to Goliath. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David had confidence. He relied, he had confidence in God and he relied not in his own strength and power, but in God's. Uh, but David didn't rely on his own wisdom either. It tells us that often when David uh, had a decision to make, it says he would inquire of the Lord. He would come before God in prayer and he would ask God what to do, what the strategy would be. Um, and then in the New Testament, in Acts 13, 22, it says this. After removing Saul, the Lord made David their king. He testified concerning him, David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David did everything God wanted him to do. That's why he was called a man after God's own heart. God saw that in David's heart when he was a young shepherd boy. And that's why God said to Samuel, Samuel, he is the one. God looks at the heart. So I want to ask you, who are you in this story? Are you Samuel or Jesse? Who you kind of look at the outward appearance. You're looking for resumes. You're looking for education and experience and all that. All those things are important. But they are not the most important thing. The most important thing in God's choice of someone he wants to use and work through is their heart, their character, their attitude, their integrity, their faithfulness, their dependency on the Lord. And so here's what I want you to do in closing. Right now, would you ask the Lord to examine your heart? In Psalm 139, at the very end, the psalmist writes this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Would you right now, in prayer, say, Lord, search my heart. Remember, all things are uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. And if you're a believer today, God sees right into you. Would you allow him to search your heart, examine you, and to correct whatever needs to be corrected? Would you confess whatever needs to be confessed? Repent and turn away from whatever is not pleasing to him. Um,
What does God see when he looks in, inside your heart? Are you someone that he can count on? Um, if not, what needs to change in your life? I want to just ask you this question, and you can just hold out your hands. The hands represent service. Does the Lord just have your hands, or does he also have your heart? You know, it's easy to just serve, um, but God doesn't want your service only. God wants your heart. He doesn't just want your works. He wants all of you. Will you offer yourself to the Lord right now and say, God, I want to be a woman or a man after your own heart. I now offer myself completely to you. Help me to be single-minded in my devotion to you, to love you with all my heart and soul and strength, to be completely and unreservedly and unashamedly devoted to you with single-minded affection. Does God have your heart? And not just your hands. Would you ask the Lord to help you to see what he sees in yourself and in other people? Um, don't limit what God can do through someone he has chosen. How would things be different if you would ask God to help you look at the heart and not just the outward appearance? What might God do in your life or in the world around you if you stop putting limits on what he could do and stop putting limits on what he could do through someone that he has chosen? Experience matters. Sure it does. Education matters. Intelligence matters. Talent matters. But what matters most is character. What matters most is the heart. That's what God looks for. Um, there's this passage I read earlier, and I just want to read a portion of this again from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul says this, beginning at verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. And what he's saying is, think of what you were. You weren't much when God called you, when he saved you. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things the weak things and the things that are not. Notice those two words, but God. That's what makes the difference. And that's going to be the series of messages that I'm going to begin starting next Sunday. Those two words make all the difference in the world. He's saying you were, in the world's eyes, you were foolish, you were weak, you were not influential, you were a nobody. But God has chosen you. And will you be willing to see 
into the heart of others and into your own heart what God sees and not limit what he can do. Because here's what matters. When God chooses you and he's pleased with you, he will be present with you. And his presence and his power is everything. Moses, when he was chosen by God, and he felt too weak, he felt he couldn't do it. And, God's, and Moses said, who am I? Like, why would you choose me? And God said, I will be with you. And the same thing happened with Gideon. When Gideon said, Lord, uh, my family, my clan is, is the least, and I'm the weakest in my family. I'm, I'm too young and inexperienced. I'm nobody. And God's answer to him was, I will be with you. That's what makes the difference. The Lord was with Joseph, the Bible says. The Lord was with David. The Lord was with Moses. And the Lord will be with you if you'll trust him. Would you please pray with me? Father, I pray for all those who are watching or listening to this message today. And Lord, there might be some underdogs, people who feel like underdogs, who have been taking part. And I pray, Father, that you would help that woman or that man, that boy or girl, to know, Lord, that the only thing that matters is your choice and your anointing and the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. The other stuff can help but it's your presence and your choice that makes all the difference because you look at the heart. And maybe you're someone here who's not an underdog. Maybe you're like the top dog and everybody praises you and they look at you and they choose you because you seem so sharp. But maybe God wants to humble you. And maybe you're a person who you go forward in your own strength and your own wisdom. But you've not yet seen what God could do if you would humble yourself before him and Stop acting independently of him. And so today, I just want to close with this prayer. And you can repeat after me. Father, I pray that you would help me to see in myself and others what you see. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for someone like me, for sinners, for failures, for nobodies. And you saved us through his shed blood on the cross so that we could be used by you and that we who are underdogs could realize, Lord, that you have a purpose for us. And so now, Father, I... And if you're following along with this, I'm going to ask if you would just say these words. Lord Jesus, I now invite you to come into my life. I confess my sins. I turn away from them. I turn away from my independent life. And I choose now to live for you in a way that is pleasing to you. And Father, help me 
to see myself as you see me and not to limit what you can do through one like me. I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. And I want to live my life now fully devoted to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.